There is a hysteria going on in the United States right now over the app TikTok. This is the most popular app in the world, and the U.S. government is discussing banning it. The U.S. government has already banned it on government devices. European governments are also planning on banning it on government devices. And we're now seeing a call in the U.S. political system to have a complete ban on the most popular app in the world. And this is all about the new Cold War that the United States is waging against China, but not in the way that you might think it is. The narrative that we keep hearing in the Western media is that TikTok is supposedly dangerous because supposedly China can use it to spy on people. But in reality, this narrative is deeply misleading. And what's actually happening is the US government is trying to use TikTok, one, as a way of justifying increasing its own surveillance over people in the United States. So ironically, the US is accusing China of doing exactly what the US is trying to do. And two, perhaps even more importantly, the US is using the supposed threat of TikTok as an excuse to basically ban foreign social media competitors to maintain Silicon Valley's control, its monopoly, over the tech industry. Today, I'm gonna to look at legislation that has been introduced in the US Congress that seeks to do exactly that, to impose sanctions on people who work with Chinese companies and also companies from Russia, Iran, uh, Venezuela, Cuba, the DPRK, basically any country that is deemed an adversary of the US their companies are going to be banned in the West and their technology is going to be banned in the West. And at the same time, there is the very real threat of growing surveillance. Now, I should start this analysis today pointing out that TikTok is the most popular website in the world, or at least it was in 2021, even more popular than Google. In 2022, TikTok was the most downloaded app worldwide more popular than Instagram and WhatsApp and Telegram. And also, even in the United States itself, TikTok is by far the most popular app. It was the most downloaded app in 2022. The Biden administration has given the company that owns TikTok, which is called ByteDance and which is located in China, an ultimatum. The U.S. government has said you either have to sell your ownership to a U.S. company or we're going to ban the app. So this is the U.S. commitment to the so-called free market. This is always how it works. For the U.S., there's a set of rules and a separate set of rules for everyone else. Every other country has to abide by the almighty free market. And if a foreign government interferes in its economy, that's seen as socialism and, and it's bad and it's, it's against you know, efficiency and we need the efficiency of the free market. But the U.S. government tries to ban any competition to save the corporate monopolies in Silicon Valley and other parts of the US so they don't have any alternatives. But before I get to that, I wanna look at a congressional hearing that was held this March. For four and a half hours, US Congress members grilled the CEO of TikTok, who is Singaporean, he's not Chinese. His name is Cho Shu Tsi. And they grilled him and asked him all these ridiculous questions, acting as though TikTok is some Chinese spying operation. And he repeatedly made it clear, politely, this guy has infinite patience, that one, 
China does not even allow TikTok inside of its borders. In China, the, the app is called Douyin. It's not the same app. It's, TikTok is banned in China. And TikTok as a company is not even based in China. It is based in Los Angeles, California in the US, and it's based in Singapore. And yet, despite this, these neoconservative Republicans largely in the US Congress, some Democrats, but mostly Republicans, were grilling him and asking him ridiculous questions. Here are the questions from Daniel Crenshaw, Dan Crenshaw. He's a, a, a pro-Trump Republican, and he also recently has been trying to invade Mexico, proposing legislation to invade Mexico. Here is him acting as though the Singaporean CEO of the Singaporean company TikTok is a Chinese threat. So, Mr. Chu, if the CCP tells ByteDance to turn over all data that TikTok has collected inside the U.S., even within Project Texas, do they have to do so, according to Chinese law? Con Congressman, first, I'm, I'm Singaporean. So there is a classic example of this. Again, Singapore is a separate country. It is not part of China. Now, here is another ridiculous example, this time from a Democratic congressman, Tony Cardenas from California. Um... Are you a Chinese company? TikTok is a company that's now headquartered in Singapore and Los Angeles. Okay. Our, we are not available in mainland China. Our users are in other countries around the world. So there he repeated it once again that in China, they don't have TikTok. They have a separate app that's called Douyin, which is completely different. And TikTok is formally located in the United States and in Singapore. Despite this, Fox News has really been pushing this ridiculous narrative, anti-China narrative. And in fact, the far-right Fox News host, Laura Ingram, referred to the Singaporean TikTok CEO as Mr. China. Mr. China came to Washington today, and Mr. China came to Washington today. There was a very good Twitter thread about this by Cyrus Jansen, who is, he's got a good YouTube channel where he talks about China and geopolitics. And he summarized the main points of this hearing. He made it clear, first of all, that U.S. politicians already had their minds made up before this hearing. They were not interested in hearing what he had to say because they're basically trying to ban TikTok. And he pointed out that to this date, there is not a single piece of evidence that shows that China's government has asked for U.S. users' data. And there is no evidence that TikTok has ever given that data to the Communist Party of China. Literally, all of this is an irrational fear of China, something we see more of every day in Western media. He again reiterated that TikTok is headquartered in LA and Singapore. And actually, he stressed that the data is in servers physically in the United States run by a US company based in Texas, Oracle. There is zero data stored in China. The, the Communist Party of China has zero access to this data. But he said correctly, and this is what I'm going to talk about today, that the attempt to ban TikTok is about the new Cold War. Anything from China is going to be considered a national security threat. And here is the main point that we really need to drive home. This is ultimately about competition. The U.S. government is trying to ban any competition to Silicon Valley monopolies that control social media and control a lot of the tech industry. And so this brings me now to two pieces of legislation that have been introduced in the U.S. Congress. And it, they show how 
U.S. politicians are using this manufactured hysteria over TikTok as an excuse to basically wage an economic war on other countries. And this was spelled out very well in an article that I'll link to in the description below called TikTok Bills Could Dangerously Expand National Security State. And this was published by the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft over at their website, responsiblestatecraft.org. This is one of the very few think tanks in Washington that is actually critical of war and interventionist policies. There's basically two or three of them, and this is one of the few that exist. Now, this article poses a question, and I would say we all know what the answer to this question is. It's yes. It asks, is TikTok being used as the wedge for a much broader effort to restrict companies owned by rival nations across the entire information technology sector? The answer is obviously yes. And it starts looking at a bill that was passed by the U.S. House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee with bipartisan support, and it's called the Data Act. In front of me here, I have this legislation from congress.gov. You can see that it, the main sponsor was the neoconservative Republican Congressman Michael McCall. And it's the Deterring America's Technological Adversaries Act or Data Act. So right from the beginning, they make it clear that this is about challenging the countries that the U.S. considers its adversaries. If you go down to Title II of the legislation, it calls for the U.S. president to impose sanctions on any foreign person that operates, directs, or deals in a connected software application that is subject to the jurisdiction or direction of China. That is to say that this is the U.S. government is threatening to impose sanctions on anyone who works with software that China has influence over. So that could be a Chinese company, but it's also very vague. So it could simply be if the U.S. claims that a foreign software company is supposedly uh, under the influence of China, even if it's not a Chinese company, this is the, an excuse for the U.S. government to impose sanctions on that country, so on, on that company, so or that foreign country. So basically, this is a way for the U.S. to sanction any foreign company or country or individual that challenges the monopoly of Silicon Valley big tech corporations. Later in the bill, they describe that the sanctions include blocking and prohibiting all transactions in property of a foreign person in the United States or that comes in the possession of a United States person. So this could also affect U.S. citizens. And keep in mind that when they say this, this also includes the U.S. banking system. And it's not just people who have bank accounts in a U.S. bank but also anyone who is trying to do transactions that involve U.S. dollars. This point is absolutely crucial to understand because if international transactions involve dollars, which is the majority of international transactions, the U.S. government applies a, a principle of extraterritoriality that says that essentially the U.S. can apply its own domestic law on foreign nationals, foreign companies, foreign governments, and claim that they're violating U.S. laws and, and the U.S. can impose sanctions on them. And this is similar to the kind of logic that the U.S. uses to try to imprison foreign nationals like the Venezuelan diplomat Alex Saab 
or the Australian journalist Julian Assange, who is not a U.S. citizen. He was not working in the U.S., and yet the U.S. is trying to imprison him in the U.S. for supposedly violating U.S. law for publishing factual journalism with WikiLeaks. Similarly, the U.S. says that foreign companies or governments or individuals that do transactions involving U.S. dollars, those transactions supposedly touch U.S. soil because they often in, in, involve a, an intermediate bank in the U.S., like in New York, or they, they use the, inter, the SWIFT interbank messaging system. So the U.S. claims that those transactions are liable to U.S. national law and the U.S. can impose sanctions on them and prevent them from doing transactions in dollars. This is something that is accelerating the drive toward, toward de-dollarization around the world and using new currencies in trade. So what the U.S. says basically is if you do business with a Cuban company, a Venezuelan company, an Iranian company, and increasingly a Russian or a Chinese company, the U.S. will impose sanctions on you. The U.S. also has blocked uh, Russian companies from using the, the SWIFT system, and the U.S. cut off numerous Russian banks from the, the SWIFT system. So what we're seeing now is legislation that would extend that further. And basically anyone who works with a Chinese software company or a Chinese tech company could be threatened by sanctions. This article at the Quincy Institute pointed out that this, this act, the Data Act that, isn't, that was approved by the House Foreign Affairs Committee would essentially make it a priority for the US government to try to ban the use of Chinese software anywhere in the world, including that in nations that are allies or potential allies. So once again, this is the US commitment to the free market is banning Chinese competition. Now I wanna look briefly at another bill that has been introduced in the Senate. And in some ways, this is even more dangerous, also because like the Data Act in the, in the House, it is completely bipartisan and has supports for, support from Republicans and Democrats. But furthermore, it has been endorsed by the Joe Biden administration, which means that if it passes the Congress, there is a 100% chance that Biden is going to sign it into law. This article stresses that this law could threaten freedom of speech and freedom of the press in the United States. It notes that the bill would grant the U.S. executive branch unprecedented new national security powers over commerce and information and communication technologies and by extension speech. It requires the U.S. executive branch to prohibit or mitigate any transaction or activity in information and communications technologies by companies controlled by a foreign adversary. So once again, this is threatening freedom of speech and not just other companies and tech products and applications that challenge Silicon Valley's monopoly. Here is the text of the Senate bill over at congress.gov. You can see this bill was introduced by a Democrat, a right-wing Democrat. So there's you know bipartisan consensus here. And this bill is called the Restricting the Emergence of Security Threats that Risk Information and Communications Technology Act or the RESIST Act. The language in both of these bills is very vague, which gives more opportunity for the government to abuse the law. But this Senate bill, I mean, it's just pretty ridiculous how open it is and how much power it would give the U.S. government over speech and censorship. In, in a nutshell, what it calls for is for the U.S. government to take action to identify, deter, disrupt, prevent, prohibit, investigate, 
or otherwise mitigate any risk arising from any covered transaction by any person subject to the jurisdiction of the U.S. that poses an undue or unacceptable risk to the U.S., including maintenance of information and communication technology products in the U.S. or the digital economy of the U.S. or national security of the U.S. So again, it is very vague and very open. Basically, what they're saying is that the U.S. government can censor or ban any foreign technology that threatens the the dominance of U.S. companies of the digital economy in the U.S. or national security. So it's not just sub claiming supposedly that, the, that these apps like TikTok threaten U.S. national security, but if they challenge a U.S. monopoly, if they challenge the U.S. economy, the digital economy, so-called, then the U.S. considers them a threat and the U.S. government can ban them, prohibit them, sanction them, deter them, mitigate, whatever that is. I mean, it's very open. And when the bill says that it applies to foreign adversaries, it actually defines them clearly. It names China, Cuba, Iran, the DPRK, which is North Korea, Russia, and Venezuela. So what this bill is saying, and it has the support of Biden, is that any application or technology from any of those countries can be banned and censored and sanctioned immediately in the U.S. And any U.S. individual involved, including a U.S. citizen, could be threatened as well. And of course, censored. And the bill is so wide open that it also provides in Section 6 an opportunity for the U.S. government to add new so-called foreign adversaries in case, you know, the U.S. wants to wage a new Cold War in another country. And all that, that the U.S. needs is it needs to do so in collaboration with the intelligence agencies like the CIA. And they can say that they can designate a foreign government or regime as a foreign adversary if it engages in conduct that is adverse to U.S. national security. So if there is another country that the U.S. doesn't like that develops technology that challenges the monopoly of U.S. companies, the U.S. can take action against it, ban it, censor it, etc. So this is the reality in the United States today. So much for the so-called free market. And the irony is that anytime a foreign government tries to pro provide support for its own domestic industry, acting on behalf of its people, of its working class, the U.S. attacks it as socialism or authoritarianism. According to the U.S., socialism is authoritarianism. There's no distinction. It's a propaganda word. And this is also deeply ironic because increasingly we've seen a discussion in the United States of a return for industrial policy. And industrial policy basically means the U.S. government working with companies, industries to develop according to U.S. national security interests. In fact, a former top member of the U.S. State Department, Anne-Marie Slaughter, who is a complete neocon, she wrote an article over at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, which is a warmongering right-wing Australian think tank funded by the Australian military and by Western governments, including the U.S. government. And she said, the U.S. government has rediscovered industrial policy. And she referred to it as a foundation for a shift to a post-neoliberal economy. So they're acknowledging that increasingly the U.S. gave up on the free market. That was just propaganda. Other countries have to abide by the free market. Poor countries, they're not, they're not allowed to help develop their own industry. They're not allowed to help uh, working class people. 
But even now the U.S. is saying, yeah, I mean, whatever, we're just going to go back to state support for all of these industries. So it's actually the worst of both worlds. It's not socialism. It's just feudalism. It, and it, 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 this is what capitalism actually is. The state always bails out the capitalists. That's, that's what capitalism is, a dictatorship of the capitalists. The capitalist class controls the state. In the United States, that's very clear. It is large corporations and banks that determine what U.S. government policy is. A study by a Princeton University professor found that the U.S. is not a democracy. It's an oligarchy and that average poor and working people have zero influence on government policy. Government policy is created by the rich, by large corporations, by lobbyists. So the government provides industrial policy for them. It bails out banks. It bails out billionaire depositors. They all get saved by the government. They get so social support. But the working class, poor people, have no social support, no health care, no education. Increasingly, it's being privatized and sold off to charter schools. I mean, it's for, for average poor working people, they're told to work harder, lip, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They get no support at all. So, I mean, th this is the reality in the United States. And any foreign companies that try to challenge the monopoly of U.S. big corporations in Silicon Valley, which are already all... U.S. government contractors. Google has contracts with the CIA and the Pentagon. Amazon does as well. They're all big U.S. government contractors. Increasingly, if they face competition from foreign companies, from places like China, those foreign companies get banned as well. Huawei, now TikTok, and the list will continue growing. So this is the corporate feudalism. I mean, this is the authoritarian capitalism that exists in the U.S. The U.S. claims socialism is authoritarian. This is actual authoritarianism. It's authoritarian capitalism. And it's getting more and more authoritarian with this new Cold War. And unfortunately, both political parties in the U.S. are buying into this. De Democrats and Republicans are buying into this new Cold War and justifying this crackdown on the very few civil liberties that do continue to exist in the U.S. With that said, I'm going to conclude here. I'm Ben Norton. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. If you are watching or listening on YouTube or SoundCloud or whatever app, please subscribe. If you want to support this, this independent media outlet, we have no big donors, no big sponsors. Please go to geopoliticaleconomy.com support, or you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash geopoliticaleconomy. Thanks to everyone. I'll see you all next time.